0: God Trip podcast where we talk about religious cults, strange religious figures, and bizarre rituals. This is part two of episode one, Yankee Tantra, Free Love and Bible Communism in Oneida. You were just asking about the term free love, and if it was if there was a long chain of understanding of what that meant uh, that went all the way to when the hippies in the 1960s started using it, and we're not really sure. But John Humphrey Noyes was definitely accredited with. Originating the idea of free love, or at least terming what 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 they were practicing in his community free love, that was his idea to call it that.
1: Free love and Bible commentism. Yeah,
0: <laughs> sounds
1: like a party. It does. Um,
0: totally. Now I want to talk a little bit about another big concept of this group called mutual criticism. And Noyes got this idea from when he was at Andover and he was in he was in a group of students that were studying the Bible and they would practice this called mutual criticism where they would sit each other down and say it appears that you're not conforming to the, you know, the morals that you want to be you're doing this wrong and you're doing that wrong and they basically were criticizing each other to try to help each other be better christians which sounds like a lot of fun (laughs) and so
1: that's where all that's where the social pressures come on
0: yeah yep Mm -hmm. so so he experienced that at when he was at andover and he decided that it would be a good thing to include at oneida it was consensual, like lab- like sex was and like work was. It was consensual. People would say, I'm ready for my session of mutual criticism. They would sit down and there was an appointed group that were the people who would dole out your criticisms. So it wasn't the whole community of 300 people. It was just a few, like maybe oh. 10 or 12. But they would sit down and they would basically take your inventory and say, you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that. And it was very painful, and it could go on for a long time. And they tried to make it somewhat positive, like they'd say, oh, you're doing this really well, and you're doing that really well, and we know that you're trying to make this better, but you still need to work on it um, from the transcripts that I read. The main things that they would criticize people for are kind of interesting.
2: Yeah.
0: One of them was what they called prima donna, syndrome or something like that. I don't know if they use the word syndrome, but they definitely use the term prima
1: donna. I can, pic- I can picture what they're talking about,
0: yeah. So, like anybody who's acting like they're important or they're acting only for themselves and not for the community. So that was highly criticized. And so was um, something they called hypochondria, and it's, a, it's similar to what we consider hypochondria. It was people who were overly concerned with their bodies. And so that could be like being too worried about your health and your fitness. But it could also just be like people who are grooming too much. People who are spending too much time fixing their hair or spending too much time, you know, making sure their clothes look nice. Anything where you're like working on your appearance or your body or your health. That was bad. Um, and then this is really freaky thing, something they called philoprogenitiveness, and that meant that you're spending too much time with your children, and, sh- and you have like an unnatural affection for your children. Wow. Yeah. And that's a really weird part of their group. When a baby was one years old, it was taken away from its mother, every baby. Every baby was weaned at one years old and taken away from its mother and put in the communal nursery, and that's where they would live. People in the community would take turns taking care of the nursery. If you were a mother or a father of the child, you could really only visit like once or twice a week, and you had to act kind of cool while you were doing it, because if people got the idea that you were like overly passionate about your children, then they would <laughs> then they would ban you from seeing them at all. I read I read pieces from people's journals that sounded so painful. Like, little children would have to pretend like they weren't missing their parents. And they might see their parents, like, walking around, and they wanted to, like, yell out and call for them because they were missing their parents, you know, and in a lot of pain. But they weren't allowed to because... I can't,
1: yeah, I can't imagine a more profound... Method of control.
0: Yeah. It's very strange and very sad.
1: I do know quite a few uh, groups that would take the children away from the parents and raise them communally. The Manson family comes to mind. Um...
0: Yeah, so this was a very weird thing, but it kind of went along with this whole idea that, like, jealousy is bad or, like, getting too involved with your lover is bad. So any kind of like you were supposed to be just as close to anyone in the in the community as you were with your children or your lovers, isn't there
1: a passage in the New Testament where Christ announces that you should be more committed to the church than to your family
0: yeah there 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 is definitely. I can't quote it offhand, but I know that it's something about like if your mother is taking you away from your faith and you have to cut off your relationships with your mother yep Mm -hmm. there definitely is i'm wondering
1: he he had to have used that stuff for justification to keep kids yeah keep parents from seeing their kids
0: i think he probably i'm sure he did so another thing they talked about in the mutual criticism sessions is what they called sticky love. Todd, do you remember what that is? Is
1: that when people uh, begin to develop a romantic attachment.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah, I do remember that.
0: Noise didn't like it, and he would try to put a stop to it whenever it started to happen. And it was something that you might you might be encouraged to go to mutual criticism sessions so that he could you know he and his committee could dress you down about it
2: yeah
0: <laughs> very controlling
1: i can't imagine uh the psychological torture that must have been yeah you
0: know. crazy and the, anyway he his uh, philosophical reasoning for it was he we talked a little bit about this before he believed that there was this flow of divine love among all of the chosen people of all of the saved or whatever, redeemed people. If you started to feel romantic to support, to someone, like overly romantic and possessive, then you would be blocking the flow of divine love. So, wow. Yeah.
1: Sort of understand the logic of that in a weird way.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a rationale behind it, for sure. I,
1: I, I wonder how they accounted for romantic love. I'm not sure of that. I mean, is that a creation of the devil?
0: Good question. I don't know, but it's definitely like a considered a vice. Having like a godly love for someone, you have like this feeling of possessiveness about them.
1: Yeah, well, there are uh, passages in the New Testament that uh, just sort of discourage romantic and familial love, right? As being detrimental to the community spirit, as it were, you know? Uh-huh. I mean, uh, not...
0: it does seem kind of selfish at times, like that kind of, like romantic love is very much about yourself and what you want, and a lot of times when people kind of go crazy with it, they don't really care about other. But anyway, so that was one of those things that he he would, you'd have to get dressed down for in the mutual criticism sessions. And then, like, the worst one is, I think, is the, if you were... Male incontinence, like if a man at Oneida was not holding back his orgasm while he was having sex with women, and he was, you know, ejaculating during sex, and a uh, word got out about it, then that was a major, major crime, and you'd get a serious talking to... And that could definitely be a part of your mutual criticism session
2: theme. Yeah,
1: I could I could see how that would be, if Romantic Love would be considered to be selfish, that could be considered possibly more so. And the continence, the male continence thing was a, in a sense, uh, it's, I was about to say birth control measure, but social control measure sounds equally like valid there.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. I think both. Definitely, like... It was noise's way to control things, and it was also, he had so much guilt about getting his wife pregnant all those times that she lost her baby, or that she had stillbirths, or miscarriages. He felt super guilty about that, and I think that kind of led to this idea that men should never, should only, you know, ejaculate when they're having intercourse if they're specifically trying to have a baby, and if they do it any other time, then they're just creating trouble for everybody.
1: Yeah, I've read uh, that with, when it comes to the phrase free love, the way they used it and the way it was used in the 1960s is basically that in the 1960s it was supposed to be consequence-free. With the United community, they definitely made the connection between sex and babies. Yeah. Hardcore. Mm-hmm. And... uh but I
2: think that's just all wrapped
0: up into it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. And then there were there was also, in the mutual criticism sessions, in, I read some transcripts, which I mentioned. Sometimes they would just get on you about weird stuff. You know, like, one thing I read was, this guy wasn't picking his feet up when he was walking, and I think it was just getting on everybody's nerves. <laughs> <laughs> or, like, they even... <laughs> They even gave people a hard time if they weren't enunciating their words correctly or enough. they give you a hard time if you were slurring your words too much and you needed to be more uh, clear.
1: Alright, note to self, if you're going to join the Anodic community, don't slur your words and don't ejaculate. Don't fine, <laughs> right?
2: right, it's kind of like... And pick um... your
1: feet up for God's
2: sake. <laughs> right. It's...
0: <laughs> it's kind of like... um. That whole thing, like, if you, if you keep, if you make sure your socks match and you mow your lawn, nobody cares what you do in the suburbs. Uh, Like, you could be a Nazi, as long as you keep your lawn mowed and your socks match, you're fine.
1: Yeah, this, I just keep thinking of The Last Emperor and the Chinese Communist uh, dressing down sessions they'd have. Seem so similar, you know.
2: Uh huh.
1: Only this is kind of a down home rural American sort of version. And, right. uh, they just, they, they remind me of each other, to tell you the truth. And, uh, but I'm, I'm wondering how big these, these, uh, critic, these self criticism sessions were, because there were only about 300 of them. Right. You know?
0: Um, and. You mean how long or how many people?
1: How many people were present at these things, you know?
0: The committees would be, like, I think between, like, 7 and 13 people. So there was a specific committee that were really good at picking you apart. Uh,
1: yeah, I mean, I've been fired from jobs with more people present than Matt before, you know. Uh.
0: <laughs> yeah. I can't imagine it. I it just seems awful to me. I was in an acting class where... After you did your scene, the cla- you were supposed to stay, stay on stage and just let everybody tell you what you did wrong,
1: and <laughs> I hated yeah. it
0: so much. It was awful. I can't imagine just sitting around with the people that you live with in this community and they're complaining about you shuffling your feet and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Um. Oh, I one thing that I read that was really funny that I wanted to mention. Two missionaries uh, from Oneida went forth. I'm not sure where they went. I think they went somewhere in South America. And, oh, wow. And they got, so according to what I read, they got eaten by cannibals. At least that's the word that came back. And <laughs> And noise was quoted as saying, they probably tried to introduce mutual criticism.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> I thought that was really funny.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, I've never heard of the missionary aspect. That that alone is <laughs> interesting, to yeah. say the least. Especially, um,
0: like, in South America at that time. It would have been like, what oh, are you talking about?
1: Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Tell you the truth, I can't think of any cannibals in South America. <laughs>
0: yeah, I, there's actually, like, um... There's a story about this one explorer who went missing, and I can't remember his name right now. But there's a bunch of different theories of what happened to him, and one of them was that he was eaten by cannibals. But who? Know- I mean, I, I I'm just remembering something that I read that was a theory. But you know, and also like getting whatever word they got back to Oneida that these guys got eaten. Who knows who where they got that information?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that sounds like one of those inner Victorian fears, you know.
0: Yeah. But yeah, I was, was glad so, to see so. that, I was happy to see that Noyes had a sense of humor, because nah. was, he totally was joking. He's like, oh yeah, they probably tried to introduce mutual criticism.
1: Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say, I used to see uh, pre-loved missionaries on Colfax Avenue in Denver all the time, you know. <laughs> Are you talking about <laughs>
0: prostitutes? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I
1: couldn't, re- I couldn't resist. <laughs> yeah,
0: I, at least I knew the reference. I, I thought I remembered that there were prostitutes on Colfax, <laughs> free love missionaries. It made me think of that group that had flirty fishing, that weird Christian group that maybe we'll talk about in another episode. Yeah. That, that used flirty fishing, where they had like really attractive young women go out and. Basically, oh, uh,
1: yeah, I know them.
0: seduce men and like try to bring them back to the cult.
1: Yeah, I know about. I rec- I recall reading about them quite a few years ago, probably yeah. a Robert Anton Wilson book or something. But. Yeah,
0: we should talk about that on one of our. Maybe we'll have an episode where we just talk about weird practices of different religions.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and one thing I I did notice being around the Harry Christmas, I mean, it's not really related, but it did seem like the women were unusually attractive Mm -hmm. for so many,
0: and the men were either unusually large and strong or very smart. Huh. Interesting.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's something I notice when I be in large groups at Christmas.
0: I just had a Krishna meal the other night at a Indian festival. The Krishnas were there. It was like all like East Indian people and then uh like a handful of white people at the Krishna table. Boy, that food was delicious, the Krishna food.
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I I swear they taught me how to cook. <laughs> oh, that's
0: great. Just kind of leading off of the whole male incontinence problem. I thought we should talk about the stirpiculture and yeah. spiritual eugenics. Yeah. So just a little bit about, like, some of the statistics that are just, I think, kind of interesting. People had to apply to become a part of the... So Noise decided that only people who were the most spiritually advanced should actually breed, uh, reproduce. And... He was going to be the one to decide, basically. I think, like, maybe there was a committee. (laughs) Right. (laughs) He probably had a committee, but really it was up to him when it came down to it. People applied, like, people who wanted to have children would have to apply, and then they'd have to get, get sort of vetted to decide whether or not that they were right. And it came down to 53 women and 38 men were basically ratified and said that they were allowed to have children. They had fifty-eight children at Oneida during this community. Nine of those, yeah. nine, of, nine were by Noise, and nineteen were related to Noise.
1: They were uh, from Noise's relatives, you mean?
0: Yeah, exactly. Okay. Like his sisters or whoever his nieces. Yeah. So a very high percentage of the of the progeny of the group came from Noise's bloodline, and Specifically from him too.
1: So basically, his eugenics program uh, is to promote his own gene pool.
0: Essentially, <laughs> it seems that way.
1: And of, and of course, that's uh, the ultimate mechanism for control. Right. And it wasn't there a uh, stipulation that the, one of the ways they controlled the population was prevent them from seeing their own children?
0: Yes. Yeah. So yeah, he controlled who. He controlled who could reproduce, mostly, and then he controlled how much you got to see your kids. But, you know, he had all this rationalization for it. Like, he thought that... Or, he, you know, he either believed or he said that he believed that... Why it was eugenics was that he was perfecting the race spiritually. So, like, instead of, like, for certain physical characteristics, like, whatever, Hitler's idea, his idea was that you took the most spiritually advanced people... And then their children would, like, somehow naturally be a spiritually advanced or more spiritually advanced.
1: Uh, one would uh, obviously question what his criteria were for spiritual advancement there, you know?
2: Yeah, that's,
0: that's a good question.
1: How much he liked them, or...
0: Right, how much they were obeying all the rules of the community.
1: Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, apparently the communities they lived in but like the them or at least had a positive view of them. Uh It was a bit more intolerance. I think we discussed that earlier. Kind of interested to know how much they knew about their uh, child rearing activities. Um, Although I don't think in the mid 19th century that would have been looked on as much as a big of an issue as it is at this point in time. Right. You know, in those days Children worked on the farm from very early age and that kind of thing.
0: True. And a lot of people, I think, sent their kids away to school and stuff like that, like or sent them to relatives if they couldn't afford to keep them. Yeah, I think uh, that we definitely have a different um, uh, perception of like what's best for kids now than they did. Yeah.
1: Well, what what about and schooling.
0: They had teachers. The teacher was one of the jobs that you could have and they did a lot of great I don't know the kind of schooling kind of early education that I really like. So they spent a lot of time outside doing like scientific experiments in nature and learning about nature and growing things and like a lot of experiential stuff when they were kids and they were, they education was really important to them so Everyone in the community spent a lot of time reading. They, you know, they were into science, and you know, they wanted to be aware of all the leading ideas in science. They were very progressive in terms of being intellectuals and being educated, and they wanted the That's, kids to be educated too.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, this is uh, Northeast America in the mid nineteenth century was just generally an educated population. You know?
0: right
1: i mean that's where ralph waldo emerson and thoreau and all those guys are coming from this culture as well you know right so i certainly see how the value of education would fit in there mhm yeah.
0: it's a strange kind of situation with the whole um they call it stirpiculture eugenics spiritual eugenics yeah. and that kind of also uh reminds me of one of the like the main car- <clears throat> the main people historical figures in this whole situation, was um one of Noyes' nieces named Terza Miller. She was raised by Noyes. Her father died, so Noyes kind of adopted her as, as one of his children, but she was biologically his niece. She was born and raised in the Oneida community, so she was raised with the whole free love situation, free labor, and, you know, free, you know, like she was that was her whole world. She didn't really know um, anything differently, anything different than that, as she was growing up. She had a whole generation like there were a whole there was a generation of people like that or two. She was very beautiful and very smart, very talented. She was an artist and a writer and a musician, and she also was, you know, very sexually liberated. She loves loved to have sex and was very. Active sexually in the group,
1: yeah, I've seen her books I've seen her books before,
0: yeah, she wrote she's
1: a fairly prolific person,
0: yeah, she wrote extensively about her experience there in it you kind of see like a it's this inter- like I read parts of it I haven't read all of her journal. there were things that she really embraced about it, and she really thrived and you know became like a successful musician and a successful artist and was seemed like a very happy person and seemed to have a very um, healthy, I guess, you could call it yeah. a, a notion of sex, like she just enjoyed it. Because she was so attractive and desirable, Noyes started to use her as kind of a pawn in his in manipulations of the community.
1: Right, yeah.
0: And so it's kind of sad to read her... When she talks about, like, she's really falling in love with one guy, but then this other guy who's very, he's very important, I guess, to the community, he's sort of an engineer of the community, decides he's going to leave. Noise promises the guy who's going to leave his niece. He's like, oh, well, why don't you stick around and you can have sex with my niece, basically. And I'll set you guys up. And... The guy's like, oh, okay. So he decides not to leave. Like, he was really having doubts about the whole community, this guy. And they really relied on him. He was a builder and an inventor. And he's really um, very important to the whole community. So he told Terza, you're going to have to give up your boyfriend uh, because you guys are getting too close anyway. And I want ah. you to start sleeping with this guy. And she based, she, went, she would do whatever her uncle said whatever noise said he was the leader of the group he was also her uncle but basically her father because he raised her so she would be completely heartbroken but she would do what her uncle told her and then she would fall in love with this other guy or she did actually fall in love with this other guy this engineer anyway that's one example but he he used people a lot and he used women a lot to manipulate the men in the group. Men.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but from what I understand, he was a beloved figure at the same time. They didn't see that. Uh-huh. I suppose all this unfolded over a long enough period of time that it maybe wasn't obvious. And, and as I was looking back at it, it looks obvious. Yeah. But uh, I suppose it just, it's just very difficult for me to pe- for people to not see they were being manipulated there.
0: I think he was a really good talker. I mean, he was a really good writer. When I read his book, it it really stood yeah. out. He was a very good writer. And he had all this stuff rationalized. So he could say, you know, oh, you're starting to experience sticky love, and that's bad. And, you know, this guy, you know, he'd be he's at a higher spiritual level like you are. And, you know, like he could makes, I don't know, like, I'm presuming to say that he would make stuff up, because that's what it sounds like to me, but maybe he believed it himself, I don't know. But it really seemed like he was just kind of using people as pawns to manipulate them.
1: Well, I mean, obviously there's a charisma factor going on there. Yeah. But, uh, you know, as I noted earlier, uh, this is not an an educated population up there right you know these aren't you know country rubes or bumpkins or whatever this is probably the intellectual hub of the u.s at the time right and uh it's where abolitionism came from uh ultimately temperance and all that Mm -hmm. as well and uh so it's
0: that's not like these people were particularly
1: naive,
0: you know. Right. And, uh, I, th- about- I think it's a matter of, like, from what I understand, things were going really well for them. They were selling a lot of their wares. They were very wealthy. They they built this huge mansion to live in. You know, this gigantic mansion. Right. And they... Um, Didn't have to work for many hours a day. They could kind of pick and choose what they wanted, what kind of work they wanted to do from day to day. Um, Then there was, you know, the whole free love thing and the the real, like, uh, secure kind of community where they were all working towards the same goals and had the same morals and everything. So, I think that, like, when you have so many things going for you and you're in, like, this happy community and this and your leader's very charismatic, you probably, even if you have doubts, you think, well, you know, he's the one who's hearing the voice of God.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, for a second there, it sounded like you were talking about Woodstock, and I'm like, no, that would be the next town over from Oneida. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, you know, it sounds like... <laughs> I hate to judge, but yeah, I mean it, it sounds like very utopian.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: But obviously, it doesn't end up falling apart. And uh, I, I was wondering, I wanted to ask you before we change the subject. There is definitely, I think, a tone of resentment in his niece's story.
0: Uh huh.
1: That's what I'm hearing. Um, is that a valid judgment?
0: I think so. I mean, I think she was confused sometimes, and wanted to go... Lo- like, while things were happening, she and other young women um, who kind of experienced the same situation, they at the time were just kind of going along with things, even though they were often painful experiences. Um, yeah. Then later, like, after noise um went into exile, and they stopped practicing free love. A lot of those women started to be more openly critical of what had happened to them. So, I don't know how...
1: After the fact.
0: Yeah, after the fact. And I think that sometimes, I mean, a lot of these women were very young when this was going on. Like, they were teenagers and young teenagers. Like, they, you know, they started having sex at, like, 14... So a lot of the times I think they probably just didn't have enough experience to know what was going on. Like it didn't feel well, but they kind of just did what they were supposed to kind of thing. And then when they got older, they realized they were being used. I don't know if that's my, that's 21st century analysis. Yeah, but also, you know, when, when they were young
1: and didn't really know the outside world, they wouldn't really judge it themselves that way. Right. It would seem seem normal to them.
0: Right. Mm
1: -hmm. From what I've read, it wasn't just... I mean, they they would pair up pubescence with older people. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't just men with young girls. It was also older women with younger men. Right. And uh, I actually, when I first read that, I thought, oh, yeah, what a surprise. Until I wrapped up, I suddenly... Realized that it was the women, too. Mm-hmm. And so, they were uh, egalitarian about that, at least. True. Um,
0: <laughs> That's true. Um,
1: yeah.
0: Yeah, they, they, the, the rationalization for the older women and the younger men was that the older women, who basically they had to be post-menopausal. That way, like, while the younger men were kind of learning how to be continent or have more control oh, wow. over when they ejaculated or when they didn't ejaculate, then they wouldn't be getting anyone pregnant. So Well, wow, that's,
1: that's convenient as hell. <laughs> <laughs> so Biology wonderful. <laughs> so
0: they could practice without, you know, the risk of making a baby.
1: Yeah yeah that uh, that makes that makes perfect sense
2: uh-huh
1: but well what I was reading is a while back um after noise fled to Canada that
0: within just a couple of months people immediately start pair bonding again, right that's true,
1: and that seems like an awfully short period of time to undergo that kind of ideological reversal. Right. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, definitely. So, what do you think? Do you think that they were happy to be to not have to go along with the free love thing anymore and they could actually like marry and be with the people that they loved and, you know, have their children with them and all that kind of thing?
1: Yeah, I'm not sure.
0: I mean, I think that, like, he was fighting against human nature so much, you know. Like, people do have bonds, uh, romantic bonds, and that's natural. And also, people want to raise their own kids. So the idea that you shouldn't ever feel romantic about someone that you're having sex with and that you shouldn't be around your kids all the time or, you know, just once in a while, I think that's, like... You can only you can't fight you can only fight against nature as for as long as someone's kind of enforcing it. But when the person's yeah. not enforcing it anymore it seems like throughout history it's kind of gone back to like whenever people try these kinds of experiments it always kind of ends up going back to like family groups and pair bonding. Well,
1: yeah, and obviously this had been coming up this came up fairly frequently or they wouldn't have had the criticism sessions.
0: Right, exactly. It probably happened all the time.
1: Yeah. (laughs) That would be normal. Right. You know, it's like, oh, I'm a Pisces. I'm a Cancer. Let's get together, (laughs) you know. (laughs) And no, 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 (laughs) no. And, uh, yeah, it's, it just seems like uh, I, que- I I question how much control he did have over if, if they reverted right back to pair bonding nuclear family sort of ways within two or three months.
0: Yeah, I think that you're probably right. I know that they, they rationalized it that, and this might have been true too, but so anyway, we should talk about him uh, running away to Canada because we haven't mentioned that yet. So right around the time that the federal government started to go after the Mormons and their plural marriages, the yeah. federal government was basically saying, like, Idaho can't be a state unless you guys stop your plural marriages. And if you guys stop it, then you'll be a state and you'll have all these advantages. You know, like get all this support from the federal government. And so the Mormons were either going to get arrested and maybe even... I don't, know what their, I don't know what the punishments were, but they were going to round them up and arrest them and throw them in jail or prison or whatever. They started doing that. The people of Oneida got wind of it. They figured they were next. They figured the federal government was going to come after them next. And Noyes, he figured he would be like the person they would go after to make an example of. So he was afraid and <laughs> he ran away in 1879. In 1879, he just headed for Canada. By himself.
1: And this, then this was of his own volition.
0: Yeah. He ran away.
1: <laughs> they, so, they sort of saw the writing on the wall. Right. Whereas nobody actually made a noise complaint. Actually,
0: like, what I, what I read was that there was some kind of threat of him being arrested for statutory rape. That was hanging over his head. He headed, he went to Ontario... I think some earlier community people had moved there. So there were were some community people up there, but he felt like he would be free of getting arrested and charged with statutory rape. But he left his whole community behind, which seems really weird to me. Like, it makes him seem like a coward. I mean, I'm just, I don't, I'm no historian. I don't know the, the whole, all the ins and outs, but from what I read, it just seemed really weird to me.
1: Yeah, just I mean, he just crossed the border, right? Yeah, like a Niagara Falls sort of thing, I believe.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Went to Ontario.
1: Yeah, I wonder. Yeah, it just seems to me like there's more to this that story than meets the eye. You know? Yeah,
0: I'm sure there is.
1: And was he was he there for the rest of his life?
0: Yeah, he died there. Huh. He never came back. And the group formally dis disbanded in. 1881, actually January 1st of 1881, the community formally dissolved and became a stockholders group. A what group? A stockholders group. Okay. So they, the community dissolved legally and turned into a a joint stockholders group.
1: Yeah, yeah, happens to all sass cults ultimately one day or the other.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <It's> <laughs> well they had you know they had a lot of money and they had a lot of businesses that were doing really well. Even though the community wasn't gonna make it, they I guess they they might as well keep the businesses going.
1: Yeah the company still exists, doesn't
0: it? Um I think it got sold in like two thousand and seven or something yeah. like that. But yeah, I think uh, members of the family Still owned it until
2: two
1: thousand seven. Yeah, I mean, I brought the, I brought up uh, the name with people, several people, and nobody had any idea this is the background of a silverware company. <laughs>
2: right. You know, uh-huh.
1: I mean, it, it doesn't get any weirder than that when it comes to uh, you know, well known trademarks and brands. <laughs> and,
0: uh, yeah, I actually started like I was talking to this couple that i met the other night and um i don't really know them but we just were ended up sitting at the same table at this event and i somehow i brought up oneida i sort of described it a little bit to them and i i was when i left i was thinking they probably think i'm like the biggest bullshitter in the world <laughs> they're like uh, yeah. you may, they're like that silverware company <laughs> like they're like what they're like she's schizophrenic, you know, and I was imagining that they would go home and look up the Oneida Silverware Company and put in the words, free love, and be like, oh my God, she wasn't crazy.
1: (laughs) Hey, I brought it it up. I brought up Oneida to a buddy of mine a a few weeks ago. It's an American history professor. And he starts making uh, fork and knife motions. (laughs) And and, and I didn't know what he was talking about because I was thinking sex cult. You know? (laughs) Right. (laughs) uh, Wow, it's uh, very, very odd origins for any business, I suppose. Yeah,
0: definitely. So, how did your company start? Well, there was this guy who was, you know, having visions about the end times. The devil was talking to him, and then he was the devil. Eventually, we started making silverware.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Of course. Who wouldn't have predicted it? That's that's the whole thing. I was just thinking about that this afternoon. You know, you just decide that the apocalypse is over. uh We're living in post-millennial age, and we're all free of sin. And the people who are most freezing get to breed. And uh, (laughs) that just seems so bizarre. Yeah. You know, for rural 19th century Huckleberry Finn America, you know.
0: Totally. Well, it's just like, if you think about it, it's just like this one guy's idea of what heaven on earth would be based on his, like, psychological issues. And also philosophical ideas, like, you know, he's just a regular human being, so he's, and he also probably had a little bit of, like, mental illness, if I can make that assumption. I mean, if he was seeing demons and stuff like that, he was either actually seeing demons or he was a little bit crazy. You know, so this guy with all these nutty ideas and probably delusions of grandeur comes up with an idea of what heaven on earth is
1: like. Yeah.
0: Basically, that's what it was.
1: Well, at least he got three hundred people to follow him.
0: Yeah, I mean, he had a—he was super charismatic, and a lot of it was really cool. Like, I mean, I have to say, I'm super excited about the idea that they didn't have to work very hard and they were super wealthy, and every what? and everybody shared everything. Like, you know, it wasn't like—I don't know—like it wasn't so materialistic. They were, they had a bounty, and and like also, you know the. The women didn't have to dress like the women of the time. They got to wear pants. Well, they called them pantaloons, but basically they were pants. And they got to Uh, cut their hair short and do jobs that, like, women of that time would have never had a chance to. Anyway, there were some really good things about it and some, obviously, crazy parts. Female
1: emancipation, uh, probably a generation before anybody considered it again, you know. Right, right. And that definitely, I would imagine, kept a lot of people sticking around.
0: Yeah, yeah. He talked about how he thought like women's women's lives were full of drudgery. You know, just like almost like the life of a farm animal that just keeps reproducing, and then spends their whole life trying to raise the babies. You know, it's like. It's serious drudgery and, like, monotonous, kind of soul-deadening kind of thing, especially if you're having baby after baby after baby, or several babies and some stillbirths and whatever miscarriages. It's just all kind of a nightmare, in my opinion. <laughs> he saw that around him, and he felt really guilty, about, especially about his own wife. So, yeah, I think he really wanted to see women live more lives of more high ideals of education and and work. Yeah.
1: This is coming from a spiritual ideology as opposed to a socio-political direction. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, he doesn't... Let me see if I can figure out how, how to articulate this. Men and women are equal before the Godhead, religiously, even though they may not be in the law. Uh-huh. That seems to be the way he's seeing this.
0: Yeah, I think so.
1: And uh, I wonder what those women, how those women reacted to going back to good older Presbyterian America after that, you know?
0: Yeah, that's that's a good question. I wonder how many things they kept from the Oneida community. How uh, what? I wonder how many things, how many ideals they kept um, from, in their own families, like, I don't know. Did did they go back I wonder, did they go back to how their lives would have been before Oneida or did they take some of that liberation with them into their families?
1: There is a PhD dissertation for somebody. Yeah. You know, to see if any of these women were left journals or diaries or anything.
0: Well that, that actually brings me to another really sad part of the story. Um after World War II, or so long into the whole corporate corporate part of their life as a community, they got a commission from the federal government to use their silverware factory to make things for the war effort, and they got really wealthy doing it. It was, and they got famous around the world too. Um, people knew the name, and they knew that what they were they were making for the war effort. And
1: um, because government of government contracts, then
0: yeah, and so because of this, like the spotlight being on them, they decided to get rid of all the documents about the Oneida Free Love Bible Communism community, and they burnt, oh, they, yes. they burned them. <laughs> they called it the, the Great Burning, and they just made piles and piles of all the books and documentation not all of it but like 90% of it which is really sad. I mean,
1: yeah, I've never heard i never heard that.
0: Yeah. And it's um and it's the, the at that point the community was kind of embarrassed uh, about their situation, what their situation had been during noise's time and they didn't want people to be learning what was going on or Misrepresenting it, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah. Like that was in the that was in the forties.
0: I believe so. Yeah. I told you there were like some pulp novels that were based on Noyes' life, with like yeah paintings of him looking like uh Hugh Hefner with like sexy ladies in the bedroom.
2: <laughs> <laughs> exactly what I was picturing. <laughs>
0: the people, uh, the decedents, I don't know, is that the right word? The the people who were generations later, but still a part of the community, um, the stockholders community, um, Uh, they were super embarrassed by those books. And also there was like a big article in the magazine about them, like Life Magazine or something, I think it was Life, that kind of played up all those salacious elements. They really felt like their history was being perverted by the outsider's view. I can, I can certainly see
1: this in the forties and, and later. Yeah. Definitely. Mm-hmm. God, they wouldn't even let Lucille Ball say pregnant on TV, you
0: know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lucy and Ricky had to sit, lit, sleep in separate beds. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: So that's really sad though. I, I imagine there must've been a lot of really interesting things to read in those piles of burning books and journals and yeah. papers.
1: Right, but his his niece still is fairly prolific writer and told a lot.
0: Yeah, her stuff survived. There's definitely there were some things that survived, uh, luckily.
1: Yeah. It seems to me like I've seen a couple of other diaries around as well.
0: Yeah, but, yeah, I think there but, are. There are maybe one or two from men, and um, yeah, there definitely are a few first hand accounts. Um, yeah. One other thing that was kind of weird, which might be considered a abuse of power, um, is when the factories um, started doing really well during Noise's time. They needed more workers. They just didn't have enough workers, and so they hired the people from around the other towns. But they they let them work like twelve-hour days. Even though the pe- five. the people in the community only had to work five because they thought that was humane, that if you worked more than that, you really were it was inhumane. They didn't mind having the people around outside of the community work in twelve hour days. Like I said before, the the people outside were happy to have jobs and happy to be able to feed their families, so they didn't mind.
1: Right, they were they were spiritually retarded as it were. <laughs> Uh, right. I don't, I mean, I mean that is the opposite of spiritually advanced.
0: Yeah, according to ah. noise.
1: According to noise. Oh, ah. so, be easy.
0: So, yeah, so it didn't matter to him.
1: Yeah, I was wondering, you know, it just, it just occurred to me, can you get, like, a spork from Oneida?
0: <laughs> so you, you need to find out if you can.
1: Uh, I need one of these. <laughs>
0: <laughs> totally. Um, anyway I was gonna one other thing I was gonna say was the way they rationalized getting back into like pair bonds and family units after Norris yeah. took off was they were worried that the government was gonna take their kids away. So they thought they needed to get married and have their little family units um conform to regular society.
1: So was this all for show?
0: I mean that's what I read, but I don't know. I think human nature, you know, like people like, for instance, Terza Miller, she, and even though she'd been taken away from this one, there was one guy who she was especially in love with. They had a child together and they named him Haydn after the composer because she and this other guy were both musicians. They love music and blah, blah, blah. And then of course noise split them up because he was totally threatened by how much they were in love. So when even though she was with somebody else, when they when uh, Noyes exiled himself, she yeah. went, she went back to the musician and raised Hayden with him, and maybe her other children too. but so people, I think, did try to get well, I know for a fact, they tried to get back to with the person that they really loved. Like there was this really interesting um, letter exchange that I read where. One guy wrote his woman that he was at one time involved with but had been split up from by noise. And he wrote her and said, uh, I'm going to be getting married soon. And she thought he was saying he was going to be getting married to someone else. But he was just being, like, trying to be funny or coy or whatever. Or flirtatious or something. I don't know. In his letters. But, um... He was, like, the first person to realize that you can't convey that kind of thing in text. You have to say it in person for someone to get toned, (laughs) you know. But anyway, so she was heartbroken and really livid that he was going to marry someone else because she thought that she had a special bond with him. But eventually, like, he realized what she thought and said, No, 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 I meant I want to marry you. So... A lot of pairs that, it, it seems like from what I read, a lot of pairs that have been split up got back together out of romantic love.
1: Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. The people who joined together end up together again.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Man, I can't think of anything more awkward than a sex cold falling apart. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and, I, and also I was wondering... What happened to fifty eight your one fifty eight communally raised children? oh you know somebody said that's my biological child, even though I've had the same amount of input in this life as these three hundred other people I mean is that how they divvied the up or
2: that's what a really, happened I
0: mean that's a really good question i yeah it seems like that the mothers would have it would be hard <clears throat> to it would be hard to deny the mothers um but i mean who who knows because maybe that's some of the stuff that got burned up how they made how they decided that kind of thing I, I don't know, yeah. but what I think is interesting, and I should say this now is there are people from this community still alive today, and oh really one of the books I read was written by like noise's great 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 granddaughter or something like that, and yeah. um and she actually had like a very objective I mean I would say objective perception of the whole thing like she kind of at least she saw it the same way that I do from everything I've read sort of that like noise started out uh really passionate and sort of like maybe a little bit on the crazy side passionately devoted to this I- idea of creating heaven on earth uh for real and that he was very sincere and that he may have been had those ideas throughout but that toward the end his, you know, no one can really handle power very well, and the power went to his head and he exploited people.
1: I just get the vibe that it's not an entirely black and white issue. So I would, you know.
0: yeah, I would agree with that.
1: I mean, one could look at it like he exploited people, and one could also look at it like everybody believed all of this, 100% including noise, Right. you know. True. True. I mean, like I said earlier, I have read that about the Spanish Inquisition. You know, whereas yeah, they took all your property, but they also truly believed they were doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. I'm just, I'm just thinking that's probably this is probably another case of that. I mean, to an outsider, it looks corrupt. Uh huh. But to an in, from the inside, it, it might not necessarily be. True.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's really, like, hard to judge this whole situation. But I do think that, like, very... I mean, I'm not a... Very few human beings, if any, can really handle that amount of power over people. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: And, uh, what with using young women to manipulate men whose favor he needed. Right. You know. Yeah that's not to mention his own niece, which of course in that community, that was meaningless. Right. You know, the fact she was a relative.
0: He had he had he had more than one child with her too. Actually I read in her diary, uh or in one of her letters actually, like to one of her lovers, she said, oh yeah, I guess Noyce said that uh, he wants to have another child with me and maybe more. So they had definitely had one child together and probably more with his niece.
1: When did she die?
0: Oh, that's a good question. I'm not, I'm not sure.
1: I've seen photos of her and they look 1900 or so.
0: Maybe. Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure. Did you see their outfits with their pantaloons and their short
1: hair? I have, yeah, I have seen them.
0: <laughs> so I'm gonna try and post a lot of pictures on our um, on our website. We have a website. Cool. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> so that everybody can see like the the pulp novel cover and some of the photographs from well, the United community and the way they dressed and.
1: Know the photo of that mansion as well. Yeah, that's impressive.
0: Yeah, and you can go to that mansion now. There's, you can go there and stay there. Like, um, it's both a museum of the Oneida community and, um, like a bed and breakfast. <laughs> 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 come and come to the museum of free love and Bible communism.
1: Yeah, I <laughs> have so many obscene smart ass comments going through my head right now.
0: Yeah, totally. Oh, my gosh.
1: Uh, Yeah, I didn't know it was a bed and breakfast. Just like Lizzie Borden's house.
0: (laughs) Oh, is is Lizzie Borden's house a bed and breakfast, too?
1: And, you know, uh, where Bonnie and Clyde escaped from that apartment, Clyde drives through the garage door. Uh Uh-huh. Bed and breakfast.
2: Wow. That's awesome.
1: (laughs) Oh, man, I went there six years ago, Planning on staying in it. Oh, nice. And, uh, a tornado destroyed Joplin, Missouri the night before I got there.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: Yeah, and, I read about that. And, uh...
0: That town getting destroyed.
1: Cut a Walmart in half.
0: Yeah, uh. that's right. That's crazy. I think we kind of covered most of it. Can you think of anything else
1: you want to say? Oh. No. Okay. Enough. Not particularly, other than I really want an Oneida spork.
0: <laughs> yeah, you definitely need one. My mom, All my mom's um, stainless steel silverware is Oneida. And I guess that was like, I actually read that that was a big problem for them. Like, stainless steel had become uh, something that people were using because it was so hardy and, I don't know, it didn't tarnish. Yeah. And, like, the people were like, oh, we can't spoil our brand. You know, we make silverware out of silver. And the other parts of the, you know, stockholders meeting were like, no, no, we've got to, like, innovate. And the people want stainless steel. And so <laughs> it's just funny. Right. That was, like, a big dramatic, you know, impasse on, in the stockholders community.
1: It's, like, quite. Yeah, Bob, Bob, Bob Barker was giving them away on uh, Price is Right. Right, I remember
0: that. <laughs>
1: yep. because he had his own little sex call. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he was so gross.
0: <laughs> I remember he would always ask the ladies to reach in his pocket for things. It was so creepy. Like, he'd get, like, a really sexy lady and be like, oh, I got something for you in my pocket. Reach in there and get it.
2: <laughs> so gross. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. So... Very interesting learning about the Oneida community. I thoroughly enjoyed reading about it and talking about it with you.
1: A lot of trouble visualizing this going on in 1840s and 50s America. Yeah. But it just shows you how far stereotypes go, you know. Yeah. And uh, it's a been a very interesting subject. I
0: mean, I I thought I think of it as like at the same time like Laura Ingalls Wilder was. Out on the prairies, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: her
0: cute little family. Um, you know,
1: and this whole millenarianism that they were living in or after the apocalypse—that wasn't particularly uncommon up there at the time, uh-huh. except they they just took it to an extreme. Right. You know.
0: Yeah, they weren't waiting for it to happen. It had already happened. They were already on heaven on earth. That yeah. I don't. I can't remember ever learning hearing that any group had that kind of belief before. That's the first time I've ever heard of that particular belief.
1: Yeah, yeah, I never I couldn't think of anything like that before, either. You know? Mm-hmm. It's like the threat of the a, threat of an apocalypse is usually a control mechanism, but he like took this way in different direction there, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh you know, even What's it the Darby Fellow? Immediately after they the noise runs to Canada, the Darby Fellow shows up with uh, his uh Rapture.
2: Oh
0: trip. okay. Uh well, we should talk yeah. about that on another episode. That sounds like something we could I don't know much about that. So I'd like oh, yeah. I'd like to learn more about that.
1: Well obviously, you know, that's still Embedded in mainstream American fundamentalism, evangelicalism, mm-hmm. you know, but that showed up about the time that Noise ran to Canada. Okay. Just just before the Civil War. Hmm. Interesting. And, uh, yeah, like I said, I, Noise's Apocalypse sounds more fun to me than that one, but, uh, <laughs> no doubt.
0: I picture it as, like, um, a combination of, like, a summer camp for adults and <laughs> and Woodstock
1: <laughs> or something. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I I did kind of get the camp image. <laughs>
0: yeah. Except for, like, the mutual criticism part, man. That would suck.
1: Yeah, that would suck, Yeah.
0: <laughs> It seemed especially funny and human to me that they would pick on each other's, like, little, little mannerisms and stuff. Like, stop shuffling your yeah. feet. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, what does that have to do with being, like, a perfect Christian?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you slur your words and what's more you fell in love. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and you, you ejaculate all the time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and shuffle, and shuffle and shuffle and scraping your feet.
0: Right. I don't know which is worse, how much you're ejaculating or how much you're shuffling your
1: feet. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully not both at the same time.
0: <laughs> oh, I know, I know one thing we forgot to mention, um, that the uh, assassin was part of their group. Guiteau, the assassin of the president, uh, he was in the Oneida community.
1: <laughs> he was extra super weird. I mean, he's too weird for them.
0: Right. Yeah. You he, know, they,
1: they had a nickname for him called Charles Get Out, as opposed to Get Out. Uh,
0: <laughs> yeah, he uh, he killed the president. Garfield. Yeah, he was really Garfield. handsome. <laughs> the handsome one.
1: And the ironic thing is, he chose the most beautiful pearl-handled pistol we could find so it looked good in the museum. Wow. And it's completely vanished off the
0: face of the earth. Man, he was really thinking about his legacy, huh? <laughs> yeah, oh <well>,
1: yeah. <laughs> but he probably did it for fame, yeah.
0: Wow. I, I wish there... I would like to see a movie of... Um, I would like to see a movie of, like, the, about the Oneida community where it's like focused on him and his life. Like kind of like he would be the central main character, but um it would also be like his life in Oneida and what that was like and then his life up until he assassinates Garfield. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a great movie?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean the symbolism <laughs> You know?
0: Right. Oh, yeah, totally. The idea,
1: the idea of firing a gun after a stint of male and all that. You right. know, and, uh,
0: <laughs> he just couldn't hold it back anymore.
1: <laughs> yeah, probably shuffled his feet beforehand, too. <laughs> right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, yeah, that's an interesting thing. They actually had a crazy assassin living with them in their perfect community. Yeah, I couldn't
1: find much on his time in the Oneida community, other than they hated him.
0: Okay. Yeah, I didn't you even know? find that. I knew he was a member, but I, that's all I knew.
1: Yeah, they they called him names on his back and all that. They they basically ran him out of town.
0: That's awesome. Actually, I have to give a shout out to John Wright, because he's the one who told me that he was, that Gato was a member of Oneida. So...
1: Oh yeah, yeah. I forget. I forget where I found out. I looked up a book on him or something. I think. Okay. But I, I knew that actually. That's so weird. I knew he was connected to it before I knew the rest of it. But the more I know about them, the less I can actually visualize that.
2: you huh.
0: Yeah, that's crazy.
1: And uh, yeah. Well, then again, we you know number of the Manson family tried to shoot four, so probably yeah. a connection here. Yeah,
0: look at look at that.
1: <laughs>
0: Was that Squeaky From
1: who did that? Yeah.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> oh my gosh. Interesting stuff. All right, well yes. um I'm thinking that we'll wrap it up now and um, thank you for listening to God Trip, a podcast about uh, cults weird religious figures and strange religious practices.